May the force be with you. This is going to be a physical SEC football game, and, and that's what it was. But just so happy for our fans and so happy. So, so happy for our players. Um, On the muff punt, obviously a really close call that was overturned. I mean, what what was what was said to you? On, yeah, on I, I don't know. I mean, it's that he touched it. We did not come here to lose by seven. We came here to win the game, and I think you could see that by the way that we played. We just ran into a team that was seven points better than us tonight, and. It'd be hard to look at the Arkansas Razorbacks and not be proud of the effort and the resiliency that we showed tonight and the physicality. Uh, he's, I think he's gotten better and better. He's, I mean, here's a bug. He's had the ability to do it in practice. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this episode, but... Hey, we got a jam-packed show here, really loaded with some SEC East news content, specifically assistant news content. So, hey, there was quite a bit going around in the SEC East, so I didn't want to go another day without giving you a podcast. You know, Shane and I kind of talked about it on our Monday show. We do got a couple guest interviews lined up throughout the week, so be on the lookout for those. We're going to be touching on a lot of these topics that uh, I'm about to discuss. And, hey, as always, you know, we try to say this every couple of weeks. Don't forget to give us those five-star written reviews on the Apple Podcast app. Or on now you can do it on the uh, Spotify app if you don't have an Apple product. Or, hell, if you're an Apple, you can do them both. And if you do that, don't forget, people forget to uh, reach out to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com in exchange for your five-star review. We're happy to send you a beer koozie free of charge just for going that little extra effort. But, hey, enough of that. Let's get it on with the show. And first things first, we got coach clips here. So let's jump over to South Carolina where the Gamecocks officially announced new tight ends coach Jody Wright. He has been in the NFL for the last couple of seasons. He had spent some time at Alabama and Mississippi State, if I'm not mistaken. He's been all over the SEC. Now he's going to be the new tight ends coach in Columbia, replacing uh, Eric Kimry, who went back to high school head coaching. So that's why we got a new tight end coach at South Carolina. And uh, before we get into all that, you know, I thought there was some really interesting comments here from Shane Beamer on uh, a couple of subjects, but on uh, the NIL and how that is becoming just a bigger and bigger topic with basically every recruit that they get on campus. Let's start with that one and how that's just becoming a bigger, bigger deal with every recruit on campus. So let's kick it over to Shane Beamer on NIL. As far as uh, NIL stuff, I know that's something that's come up a little bit more, at least over the last year. And now that you guys have had kind of a year with it a little bit, I guess, how is that something that y'all are incorporating into recruiting, if at all? How much are you guys allowed to do with it? And what's sort of that been like? I know it's a little bit of a moving target with it some. Yeah, no, it is. It's certainly changing and, and a lot more uh, um, a lot more on the minds of the young men that we recruit now compared to last year at this time. Uh, so... We're not going to bury our head in the sand and pretend like it's not a, a an aspect that young men are looking at. I mean, they're bringing it up to us in conversations, and we tell them like we tell you know every prospect that 
I believe that at the University of South Carolina, we're as well situated as any program out there for them to be able to capitalize on opportunities because of this fan base, because we're the capital of South Carolina, because we don't compete with other pro sports, because in this state, we're, we're in the SEC, um, on and on and on and on and on. And uh, we certainly can't, you know, arrange things, arrange deals and things like that as well. But we're certainly trying to make our young men that we're recruiting aware of the possibilities that are here and what, you know, some of our guys have, have done and, and what may be coming and things like that as well. I'm thankful for Chance Miller and, and, and Hillary Cox and our administration that are on the forefront of it and doing a great job of, one, educating, you know, our student athletes, but two, constantly um, – trying to stay one step ahead and put our guys in the best position to to be able to, you know, capitalize on opportunities while they're here in college. And wouldn't you know it, this this timing's great because uh, here on Monday, South Carolina made it official. They have uh, started a partnership. You buy a player's jersey, let's say, to carry on Joiner, he's going to get a percentage of those jersey sales now. Now, this is uh, not specifically unique to South Carolina. There's a couple other SEC schools that have done this, LSU, I believe, was the first. I think Alabama maybe jumped in. There, there's a couple others, and I would think before long they're all going to do it this way. But it's great to see that uh, you know you've got in this day and age you got to do everything possible to get this uh, NIL flowing to the players because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And in the SEC, you just can't afford to do that. So this is something that uh, you know as time goes on. We're all experiencing this basically at the same time. There is no blueprint. We'll see, uh, you know, there's always, of course, the allegations there at A&M, how much they're spending. And then I, I saw this article in The Athletic by uh, David Ubbin saying there's a Tennessee collective trying to raise $20, 25000000 million per year for NIL purposes. And, uh, the, you know, they didn't specify just recruiting, but clearly that's what they're talking about, as well as star players like a Hendon Hooker hooking up a guy like that that decided to return to school. So this is on the minds of every college program in the country that has aspirations of winning conference and national championships. So it's good to see that Shane Beamer is, is addressing this, and, and this is something that uh, you know his program is considering because, if, like I said, if not, they're going to get left behind. Now, on the topic of adding an assistant coach, Shane Beamer was also asked about, uh, you know, making South Carolina a destination not only for uh, coaches, which is uh, obviously important and paramount to the conversation here, but, you know, South Carolina's really killed it in the transfer portal, and they've done, you know, so-so in high school recruiting, not to knock some of the players they've gotten, but the first class, this was uh, Shane Beamer and company had just a handful of days, I believe, if memory serves, before the early signing period, so you couldn't do much work there. And then, uh, you know, this last class was, I think, pretty, you know, it wasn't a bad class by any means, but it was in the lower tier in the SEC. Now, you factor in the transfers. They're kill Again, they're killing it in the transfer portal. So Shane Beamer asked about making this a destination for players, transfers, and coaches. Uh, this, this may be the highlight of what he had to share on Monday. Hey, Shane, I'm... Um are you trying to kind of establish the program as a destination place for transfers, or do you think you've kind of already done that with this latest class of transfers? And if so, how important is that to you? I would like to establish this as a destination place for 
any young man that wants to come and get an elite education and play football at the highest level in, in college athletics in the SEC. And uh, I think that the, the program that we have here and the environment that we've created, um, people are, are, are seeing that, that you can come here and you can have a great experience as a student athlete, period, whether you're coming from the, another college or whether you're coming from the high school ranks. And in regards to the transfers specifically, Gene, I think it all depends on the experience that the guys before you had and certainly the guys that we brought in as transfers this year had a great experience and, and, and played meaningful snaps for us, whether it be our starting quarterback with Jason Brown or, or uh, you know, the David Spalding and Carlins Patel, who were our starting nickels the entire season and guys that did a great job on special teams like uh, Debo, Debo Williams and on and on and on and on with the guys that we brought in. So if you look at every transfer that we brought in last year, you don't look at any of them and say, eh, well, we missed on that guy. You know, knock on wood. I mean, we did a great job of hitting on all of them. And then those, those transfers that came in here this year, uh, the new ones, I think they saw what those guys did last year and certainly saw that, you know, guys can come in here and have a great experience. And this is an environment that a lot of guys want to be a part of. And, and I want that to be the case for, for, for everyone because we always want to start with the high school recruiting and, and always will. But certainly every year you're going to have to utilize the transfer portal some years more than others. Shane, you mentioned earlier how you're trying to build South Carolina into a destination that all players want to come play at. But I feel like also you mentioned that assistant coaches this offseason specifically have had a lot of chances and offers to leave but have chosen to stay. Yeah. And I'm sure Jody could speak to this also, but I'm curious from your vantage point as the head coach, what are some of the things that you're doing to try to make this a destination for coaches that want to come and coach here? Good question. Um, one, I think there's not there's a lot that I don't have to do. South Carolina is a great state to live in. Columbia is a great place to live in. And you've got great resources and, and all the things that I talk about that we have to recruit student athletes here. It's the same thing for us as coaches to give us a chance to be successful. And uh, so that's a fun part of it. You're in the SEC. So there's a lot of reasons that coaches want to come here naturally. And then I just, you know, I think for me personally, um, the environment that I try and create in here, it's, you know, it's demanding and, and it's hard work and it's, there's a lot of accountability for the players and amongst the coaching staff as well. But try and treat people right. And, and I'm not a guy that's going to be, um, you know, uh, treating people like dogs, you know, during the week and stuff like that. I mean, I've been an assistant coach for 22 years before I became a head coach and I try not to forget what it was like to be an assistant coach, but a place where they know their families are always welcome and around. And I want the families to be a part of it. This profession's really hard and there's a lot of time demands because of it. So I want our families to be able to, um, come up here, you know, during the week and feel comfortable and be involved with the players and, you know, hold these, hold the assistant coaches accountable, but also give them the freedom to do their jobs. I don't want to be a, just a micromanager on every single thing and telling Jody how to coach the tight ends or telling Clayton White how to coach the linebackers. Hire good people, um, let them coach, let them do their jobs, work hard, try and have a lot of fun uh, doing it. And then at the end of the day, just treat people right. And then for me, just trying to be consistent with these guys day in, day out, where they know what they're, what they're getting from me, if that makes sense. Now the guy that uh, I can't get enough of, and if you've been following me on Twitter, you see the more I watch this guy, the more I think he's legit. Spencer Rattler, you know, of course we see the stats, we know the hype, former five-star, former Oklahoma starting quarterback. Many of us mocked the uh, preseason 
Heisman favorites for him went at Oklahoma. Now we've seen those transfer over to South Carolina. I, I'm not ready to buy into all that. I'm not sitting here saying he's going to win the Heisman. He's the greatest quarterback in the country. But based on what I've seen, I think it's legitimate to say Spencer Rattler in conversation for the SEC East best quarterback. Now I'm giving that nod to Hendon Hooker. You could certainly make the case Stetson Bennett, given what he's done, just won a national championship with the Georgia Bulldogs, of course. Got to put him in the conversation. Will Levis, uh, you know, he's certainly helped turn Kentucky's offense around. We're going to get to that in a moment. But as things stand right now, based on what I've seen, I think I'd take Spencer Rattler number two in the East among all quarterbacks behind only Hendon Hooker. That just speaks to, you know, what a coup this was for the Gamecocks, who at when they went into last season, they were starting a freaking GA at quarterback. And when they were ended the season, they had to start an F, former FCS quarterback from St. Francis. And then in the bowl game, they had to start a receiver. I mean, you, we're talking a calamity of the quarterback situation down there in Columbia to now getting a legit elite quarterback People in, in Columbia are fired up for a reason, and I think they've got a damn good reason to be fired up, and it's because Spencer Rattler is on their squad. Now, again, he's got he's to fix the issues that he had at Oklahoma, and if he can do that, you know, it's not absurd to think South Carolina can be a contender in the East. And during Monday's presser, Shane Beamer was asked about Spencer Rattler and really bizarre off-the-wall question. Someone asked about... Uh, Spencer Rattler's dad in social media posts. And I said the previous thing was, was maybe Beamer's highlight, but I think this is because this is a pure authentic Beamer here. We've seen this since his time at South Carolina. He kind of just really went off on the fact that uh, this question was even asked. What have you seen from Spencer Rattler, both in terms of whatever you've been able to see in the weight room and on the field and also his interaction with the players on the, in the offensive room. And, and secondly, his dad is pretty um, uh, active in social media. It appears good and bad stuff. What's your relationship with him? And, you know, is that something you got to kind of keep an eye on? Um, good and bad, those are your words. I mean, some people may not think that's – I don't know what he's doing on social media, but I don't think it's much of anything. I think his dad's a hell of a person, and uh, I love his dad. Uh, he's a great family. Spencer is very, 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 very grounded and, uh, you know, and a great young man. Looking forward to you guys getting to know him. That's what I know about him. And he's he's done a great job of coming into this program and, and immersing himself within the team and being a great teammate. Shane, I guess uh, last Friday the Board of Trustees approved a bunch of contracts and enhancements and raises for some of your guys. I guess it was important to you to get the, to have that done for them. And also, I got to ask, was there anything we can read into the people who were not? But really, we're asking about dads of players, Phil. I mean, come on, man. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Huh. I'm not got 119 dads and moms. Are we going to comment on what all of them are putting on social media? Go ahead. Now, loyal listeners of the show know <laughs> Shade and I, we love to poke fun at these announcers when you know, anytime there's a big play, quarterback, of course, they get all the credit in the world. Let's go check out the parent cam, how the parents reacting to a touchdown or an interception or a benching, what have you. And we always joke, 
Well, I mean, there's 10 other players on the field. Why aren't we going to the left guards family? Where are they at? The receiver that made the great play. Where's his mom and dad at? Now we're analyzing social media posts from quarterbacks, parents. I mean, this shit is, it's getting out of hand. And I'm glad Shane Beamer <laughs> called it out because, hey, credit. I think this guy's, uh, they call him Tiger Phil down there in Columbia. So maybe he was looking for this type of reaction down there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't get on board with asking a head coach about, uh, you know, his quarterback's dad's social media post because I don't know what the hell Shane Beamer is even supposed to say in a, in a setting like this when asked something like that. <laughs> now, again, this uh, Monday presser was all about introducing new tight ends coach Jody Wright, who, again, he's got NFL experience. He's got SEC experience at several stops here. Now he's coming back to the college game to coach tight ends for the Gamecocks. And I thought two things in particular stood out But Jody Wright. He was asked about uh, working for Nick Saban and Shane Beamer. And, you know, he's not necessarily comparing the two of them, but he does kind of uh, mention, you know, what traits those guys have in common. And then, of course, you know, this is not unique to South Carolina. This is unique to basically every fan base. They all want the ball thrown to the tight end more. And Jody Wright, he's your new tight ends coach. What's he think of that? I thought this was the perfect question to ask the South Carolina new tight end coach. Yeah, you had the opportunity, as you alluded to, being able to coach with Shane a little bit when he was a little bit younger at Mississippi yeah. State, and you've had an opportunity to, to coach for one of the best college coaches of all time in Nick Saban. Being able to see a young uh, young Shane and now seeing him now and being able to work with a guy like that, what have you noticed in terms of some of the qualities he's grown with and, and maybe some similarities he's kind of showed? I know it's a tough to compare to, to Nick Saban, but trying to just see what he's been able to do in terms of creating his own program here. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, Coach Saban, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without, you know, his influence and so much I learned from him. Um, you know, and I always judge people. I always say, you know, I always want to work for people that you would want your son to play for, you know, and, and I would, you know, love for my son, hopefully, if he ever played college football, to play for Coach Beamer. Same way with Coach Saban. You want your son because you know how much they're going to make them better people, better football players all the way around. You know, and I think all coaches have different styles. You know, I think you know, Coach Saban never tried to emulate anybody and was confident in the way he did things. Um, but I, I think they're both such great, um, you know, understanding basically their staffs, their players. Um, both are really, really into recruiting and understand the, the aspect of that. I, I think they're both great evaluators of talent, you know, understanding what it takes to play at the highest level of college football. And, and also I think both of them do a great job of understanding what guys will come in and fit um, you know, I hadn't been here long, but it sounds like, you know, a lot of the guys and just the meetings we've had just about every day, you know, Shane's talking to something about recruiting, but about how guys are going to fit into the, to the puzzle. So I think both of them are just kind of proactive guys. They're always trying to figure out how can I make um, this football program better, improving the roster, or, or if it's something like nutritionist, or if it's anything that, that's going to touch a football player or make them better, they're both, you know, I think forward thinkers and, and really great leaders, you know. Yeah. I'm not sure how much you've read up on the Gamecock fan base, but there's a pretty vocal contingent that has some strong feelings about the tight end being utilized in the passing game. I was just curious in your talks with Marcus, how do you vision, uh, or what is your vision, I guess, for this position group, and how do you, how would you like to see them using this offense this yeah, year? Yeah, well, I told Marcus we, we want to get them wide open and catch touchdowns and make their coach look good. So we're working on those plays. But, <laughs> but no, we, we've got some really, really talented guys. Uh, you know, Jaheim Bale, really talented guy. 
uh, and, and Trey Kenyon, you know, so there's really talented guys and, you know, Austin um, and a lot of guys, you know, will be coming here later. But we, we've uh, – I definitely think uh, Mark has got a good plan to use all, whether it's receivers, tight ends, running backs, you know. Um, we're really excited about, you know, some different play players with quarterback and a lot of different positions we think uh, could even grow them from last year watching tape, watching tape from last year and um, – like I told him the other day, you know, the key to being a good coach is get good players and manage them. So I told him, you know, just make me look smart. So we'll be, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> but. All right. So I hope you picked it up from those clips there. But, uh, you know, Jody Wright seems like a, quite the jovial guy. He sounds like he's pretty fired up for this opportunity. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that goes for the Gamecocks. But, again, this is a guy they hired him over. You know, I don't know how, how accurate it was, but it was being reported that uh, Tim Brewster – Long-time, excellent tight end coach and recruiter. You're going to hire this guy over him. You know, you got to make sure you're hiring the right guy. And, you know, we're not judging anything based on a press conference. But clearly, we're getting a guy that's fired up to be here instead of, uh, you know, Tim Brewster for as, as great as he is. And I, I do think he's probably the best tight ends coach in recent SEC history. The guy's kind of a, uh, a nomad. He jumps from job to job. And, hey, if nothing else, I think South Carolina got you a guy here that uh, is going to stay committed to South Carolina, stay committed to Shane Beamer, unless uh, maybe an NFL job or an offensive coordinator type role comes available to him. So, you know, we'll see how this works out for the Gamecocks. Now, speaking of assistant coaching news in the SEC, we had a couple big ones here. But uh, let's start with the biggest one potentially for next season. Let's kick it all down to Lexington where it's being reported. First, it was uh, Albert Breer of uh, Sports Illustrated that Liam Cohen has been selected to be the new L.A. Rams offensive coordinator to reconnect with Sean McVay, the Super Bowl champions. Now, you know, that was reported by uh, several NFL people soon after Albert Breer's reports, and then uh, Bruce Feldman, of course, the great reporter for The Athletic and Fox Sports, you know, he has said that uh, no deal has been reached, so there's a little bit of confusion there, but I'm seeing people like Matt Jones, who's plugged in, as anybody is, at the Kentucky program, he's throwing up his hot boards, he's looking for candidates, he's, he's mentioning, you know, the ongoing search for the new offensive coordinator, so nothing official, but when you got uh, Matt Jones out here Talking about the replacements, I I gotta think that Cohen is you know on his way to the NFL. Maybe they're just haggling over money right now because I know Liam Cohen was set to make 1.1 million dollars coaching offense there at Kentucky. So I have no idea what the Rams are offering him, but I do not expect Liam Cohen to return at this point. And if you didn't follow Kentucky as as closely as you should have, hell, they won 10 games last year. I'm gonna throw up this uh, slide here. Got a couple graphics here if you're just listening to the show. Here's some of the key areas Kentucky's offense improved drastically in their only season under Liam Cohen. In 2020, Kentucky scored 21.8 points per game. Last season, 32.3, significantly better. Offensive efficiency in 2020, Kentucky ranked 101 in the country. I mean, that's just god-awful. Last season under Cohen, 
Offensive efficiency ranking number 15 in the country. Uh, now here's SEC stats. Third down defense, Kentucky was number nine in the SEC prior to Cohen. They were number two in the SEC with Cohen. Big plays in the pass game, passing plays of 20 or more yards. Kentucky had 15 in 2020. Last season, that number was 41. So, again, you know, we got to credit Wondell Robinson. We got to credit Will Levis. We got to credit Dare Rosenthal. Some of the big additions Kentucky had on that offense, not to mention Chris Rodriguez and company and and Kennard and all these great players they had on offense. I mean, they had more of a hand on it than anybody. But, you know, Kentucky went from dreadful on offense to, I would say, a very balanced, efficient attack last season. And I have no idea where they're going to go for their next offensive coordinator. But they get, they better make this decision pretty quickly, and a lot hinges on it because Kentucky is poised to have one of the best offenses in the SEC East next season while we're about two weeks out from the start of spring camp. So you know, it's hard for me to imagine they're going to go into camp without an offensive coordinator. It's paramount, whoever that is, that you get them in there to get familiarity with these players and install his system. And I got to think that Kentucky's going to stay to a similar system but, you know, there's going to be changes, no doubt, uh, unless Cohen does pull a, you know, a midnight change here and stays at Kentucky. So, you know, the timing couldn't be worse. We're going to have a guest on the next episode breaking this all down and what this means for the Kentucky Wildcats. But, you know, I cannot understate how big of a loss this is for Kentucky. And, you know, they still got high hopes for next season. But I think that's you suffered a little bit of a setback here, losing your offensive coordinator who going into year two with, uh, you know, the same quarterback, the same system, many of the same players was poised to really break out here in the SEC East. Now, Cohen jumping to the NFL, not a stunner here. We've been talking about it for several weeks now, but one news item here on Monday that was pretty stunning. Let's hop on down to Athens where associate head coach and offensive line coach Matt Luke resigned from his position to spend time with his family and hey I know that's uh that's always code for got fired or some wild allegation that they just don't want to to be leaked out and you know that that typically that's exactly what that is but uh from what I'm understanding you know this is legitimate Matt Luke I think uh you know, really just taking a step back here because what more at this point can he accomplish? He's been a head coach at Ole Miss. He come down to Georgia with a goal in mind of, of winning a national championship, helping Kirby Smart get over that hill. And right now, I mean, this is the golden era of Georgia football, and they have mission accomplished. You know, I mean, unless Georgia wins the national championship again next season, which, to be fair, could certainly happen. I'm not ruling it out. But anything less than that now is a disappointment. And that's crazy because it took you 41 years to get there. But, you know, that's the standard of excellence in Georgia. If you ain't all bought in, you ain't 100% on the field coaching, off the field recruiting, developing, all this stuff, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And, and this is why we're seeing so many college coaches, when they have the opportunity to make that jump to the NFL, they are – they're fucking going, man. They're, because college football is tough. The, the, the demands are incredible. 
And it's it largely in, has to do with recruiting. And now you got to factor in, you're basically recruiting your own team 365 days a year with the transfer portal, NIL. You know, again, we're in uncertain territories here. So can't blame Matt Luke for uh, making this decision. Probably in the back of his mind, you know, they're, they just got back from vacation. They're gearing up for spring football. And, you know, he probably looked at the calendar and said, you know, I, I need a break from all this. And, hey, he's got the right to do that. He's making a ton of money in Athens. Uh, but one other thing, aside from obviously having to hire an offensive line coach now, you know, you got to be a little bit concerned if you're a Georgia Bulldog. Because as I understand it, Arch Manning and the Manning family, their connection, their main connection to the Georgia Bulldogs was Matt Luke here. So, you know, that could end up hurting you in the recruitment of the five-star Arch Manning. I don't think it kills you because, of course, you still got Todd Munkin, and he's been outstanding. And you got to think the family is very, very comfortable with Todd Munkin. Otherwise, they wouldn't even be considering the Georgia Bulldogs. But they are also uh, close to an analyst from Mississippi named uh, Buster Faulkner. He has been on all of these trips to uh, out to see Arch Manning play basketball and football and all that. So there's still relationships there. I'm not saying Arch Manning to Georgia is dead, but I do think this is potentially, you know, a hit to, uh, you know, that recruitment for the Georgia Bulldogs. So, again, uh, you know, this this could hurt you, but maybe not in the end game if you're the Georgia Bulldogs when it comes to recruiting because I know Matt Luke did a hell of a job in the uh, 2021 recruiting cycle getting some offensive linemen like Amirius Mims, the five-star, um, Micah Morris, Dylan Fairchild. Uh, those were all those were both four-star prospects. But last recruiting cycle, just kind of so-so when it comes to recruiting his position. Got a couple four-stars, but got more three-stars than four. And, hey, that ain't the standard. That's been down there as long as Kirby Smart's been a head coach with Sam Pittman and company. So, you know, again, I'm not sitting here saying Matt Luke's a terrible recruiter or anything. I'd say he's, you know, hell, look at what uh, what Lane Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss. That's most of that talent was acquired by Matt Luke and his former Ole Miss staff. So the guy is a solid recruiter. But again, if he's only, if his heart wasn't 100% in it, you know, it just was not going to work for the Georgia Bulldogs, who now more than ever, I mean, the pressure is on to stay on top of that mountain. You got Alabama coming back with a vengeance. You got A&M. You're in their crosshairs. You're in the crosshairs of Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. And basically everybody in the East uh, is on the upswing. So maybe he's getting out while the getting's good here for Matt Luke. But now, again, new opening on Kirby Smart staff, and it's it's a big one with the offensive line coach and associate head coach Matt Luke stepping away from the program. Now, last news, and this kind of goes on theme with what I'm talking about here, but uh, the only staff in the SEC East that was set to uh, remain intact going into uh, this new season was the Tennessee Vols, and that is no longer the case because receivers coach Cody Burns got an offer to be the uh, New Orleans Saints receivers coach. That's one for my dad out there. He's a big Saints guy, but uh, now they got a new Head coach, now they got a new receivers coach in Cody Burns. So, and that was a little bit of a blow for Tennessee. The receivers really started to come on. That was uh, something, if you recall, we, we had the great Tony Basilio on the show leading up to uh, Josh Heupel's debut season. And what he said, if you recall, you know, the staff's not in love with uh, this receiving core. 
And I thought that played out early in the season. It didn't seem like, you know, they were having success. I'm not trying to minimize what they were doing, but the receivers didn't really emerge till late in the season. And of course, you know, you had Cedric Tillman take over and, and be become one of the elite receivers in the SEC. I think that's a credit to Cody Burns. And five-star receiver Carnell Tate, who's uh, currently the number three receiver prospect in the country. Cody Burns was uh, his main recruiter to Tennessee, and, and apparently Tate had been recently leaning towards Tennessee. So this could hurt the Vols in a number of ways. Uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm not saying one assistant coach is going to kill you in a recruitment of one player, but certainly it's not going to help matters either. So now Josh Heupel is, uh, for the first time, during his Tennessee tenure, has got to replace an assistant coach. And it's a key one here because of the importance of that receiver position in Josh Heupel's scheme. So that'll be something else to monitor. All right, but uh, <clears throat> starting to go horse over here. So I think that's going to cut it for this episode of the show. I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. And again, be on the lookout for a couple more episodes this week. Got a, a great two guests lined up trying to work on a third so that uh, we can finish strong with the week have three more pods to finish out the week but hey as long as the content keeps coming we're going to keep bringing it to you here on the show so again i appreciate you and we'll catch you on the next one